The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that the ascension of your beloved Son, our Savior, our King, and our Priest in the glory of the cloud long ago is a guarantee, a sure guarantee to us of his return in all the resplendent glory of which we have just sung, glory that we can't even begin to imagine. And we anticipate that day with eager hope and expectation. May that hope, Father, as we reflect on your word, even in these few moments, may that hope stir us to joy and expectation, to confidence and to zeal in the calling that Jesus has given to us in this time and place as he rules at your right hand and as he intercedes for us as the perfect high priest. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. We return to Acts chapter 1. Let's hear together verses 6 through 11. We'll focus our attention this morning on verses 10 and 11. First chapter of the book of Acts. So when they had come together, they being the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God write his word on our hearts this morning. Several weeks ago, we began to think about the ascension, the account of that moment after the 40-day period of his resurrection appearances when As we read, Jesus was taken up and received by a cloud into heaven. We observed at that point two of the features of the ascension that are shown to us in Luke, one in the gospel in the last chapter and one here in the book of Acts. We saw that in the gospel, Jesus lifted his hands in blessing like Aaron, the ancient high priest, after his ordination, pronouncing blessing on the people a signal that Jesus, as he's ascending, is going, as the the writer to the Hebrews says, to become our merciful and faithful high priest, our irreplaceable high priest, the one who lives forever to intercede for us. And then we saw here that Jesus was received by a cloud, and we saw the backdrop of that cloud in the vision given to Daniel in in Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel saw the Ancient of Days in the midst of his heavenly court, and then one like a son of man coming on the clouds to receive this eternal and global international dominion, a kingdom that will never be destroyed or replaced by anyone else. Now we focus on these two men in white, 
men. Yes, that's what they looked like. Clearly angels from the court of God. And the words that they speak to the apostles as the apostles stand gazing, ESV made a good choice there. Uh, the, the Greek scholars is atenizo. Luke uses it about a dozen times. Paul uses it a couple times to describe in 2 Corinthians 3 the fact that Israel could not gaze intently at the glory of Moses' face when he came down from the mountain. But basically, whenever it's used in the New Testament, it's that fixed gaze. Uh, they're gazing into heaven. And the angels come and pose to them a question and then give them a promise. A question and a promise. The question, as you see, is men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? And we're tempted to think, well, what else should they do, right? And yet that why, that why is a little bit of an implied rebuke. It's, it's a hint that they're not doing what they should be doing right now. It's natural that they would be doing that as they watch Jesus ascend and the cloud remove him from their sight, why would they not be looking there? It seems so perfectly natural. We might imagine a lot of things going through their minds. They thought they'd lost him when his life was poured out on the cross. And then he was restored to them in the resurrection. And he'd been walking in and out among them, sort of slipping in unexpected and showing them his wounds and having them watch him eat and listening to him expound the scriptures and then again he would be gone in a moment. But this seems more decisive now. This seems more climactic as the cloud receives him. As we saw a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, in a certain sense this is the earth side view of what Daniel saw from the heaven side view. Jesus entering in to the heavenly glory to take a seat at the Father's right hand. And yet these men in white uh, imply that they're not doing quite the right thing. Now, the last time men in white garments suddenly appeared in Luke's narrative, it was on the day of resurrection. Luke 24, the very first verses of that, the women come to the tomb, you may recall, bringing spices to embalm the body of Jesus. They find The stone rolled away, the tomb empty, they're perplexed, and suddenly, behold, two men, exactly the same words that we find here, behold, two men standing beside them, now in radiant, bright garment. And as the women are overcome and they fall down, those two angels also say, why? Why? Why are you seeking the living one among dead people? Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? We understand that one. That rebuke makes sense. They'd forgotten what Jesus had promised over and over that he would rise from the dead on the third day. Then they remembered, in fact, Luke records, then they remembered when the angel reminded them. They were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. That one makes sense. But why is it wrong for the apostles here to be gazing into heaven? They're not looking for Jesus in the wrong place. In fact, the angels twice say, he did ascend to heaven. He ascended to heaven and he will return in the same way you saw him ascend into heaven. They're looking for him in the right place, but there's something amiss. You read the commentators, and of course there are all these theories. One is that uh, they were surprised that Jesus was ascended, and and so they were just sort of stunned into inaction there. Uh, Or others say the problem was that they were standing there staring 
and had forgotten that they had work to do. You shall be my witnesses among all the nations of the earth. Chapter 1, verse 8. And others say, maybe what's being shown here as Luke is thinking about this and preserving the memories of the apostles is that the apostles are kind of like previews of a mindset that was very, very common apparently in some parts of the first century church in that first generation, an expectation that Jesus was going to come back any moment now. Even though Jesus had just said to them, it's not yours to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set in his own authority. Maybe still they're hoping that this time God has tipped his hand and given us the clue and the Messiah is about to come back. And we know now the secret agenda for history. I suggest that might be part of it, that their hesitation was expectation, but it it seems as if Luke is not so interested in telling us why. The one problem is they're not actually doing what Jesus called them to do next. They're not actually doing the next thing, which is not the work of witness, no. It's the work of waiting, of waiting. The end of Luke's gospel, read the two together, the gospel and the book of Acts. Jesus describes all that has come to fulfillment through his ministry and will come to fulfillment through his exaltation. And he says, you are witnesses of these things and I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And what do we read in the next verse here in Acts? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. They went back to the city to wait. And as they waited, stay tuned for a couple weeks from now, they prayed. Devotion to prayer, waiting for the gift from the Father. So Luke is not so interested in probing for us the psychology behind the apostles' hesitation on the mountain, their gazing into heaven, whether it's surprise or confusion or a sense of abandonment or expectation that Jesus will be back in the next minute or two. Whatever the source, the rebuke of the angels implied in their question and the response of the apostles to their words suggests that the right response to Jesus' ascension is to do the next thing that he calls us to do to do the next thing, which for them at this moment is to return to the city and to wait for the gift of the Father. That's the next thing. And then, of course, beyond that, when the Spirit comes in his power, then witnessing in the power of the Spirit is the thing after that, and so on. So what's the next thing that the Lord's placed before you? by the commands and the norms of his word, by the opportunities and the challenges he's placed in your life, in your circumstances, by providence? How can you respond to Christ's ascension by doing the next thing? In trust in the power of Christ. And in expectation of his return, because immediately the promise comes. That question implies there's something amiss, They need to get back to Jerusalem, maybe what's implied, it seems, in the light of Luke 24 and verse 12 that follows. But there's a promise here as well. This Jesus, this one, who was caught, taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. As certainly as Jesus had made clear again and again to his apostles 
that neither they nor any human being will be able to predict when he would return, just as certainly God's angelic messengers, two witnesses establish truth in Scripture. Two witnesses come, God's angelic messengers assure us that he will return, that he will come back as the glorious and all-sovereign Son of Man, triumphant King and Priest. Did you hear that in our song? Both the bells of the priest coming from the Holy of Holies in blessing and the King coming in triumph. The vision in Daniel 7, as we saw several weeks ago, focuses primarily on the upward coming of the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days, the ascension where he receives eternal kingship and royal power. But there are other passages in scripture that talk in the language of Daniel 7 about a downward coming of the Son of Man from heaven. Jesus teaching about things to come on the Mount of Olives some weeks earlier had spoken of that second coming of Christ bodily in physical resurrection glory. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory and then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And just a few days later, when the high priest Caiaphas had challenged Jesus, point blank, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And in the book of Revelation, before John sees the one like a Son of Man, who's walking among the churches in the first chapter. In verse 7 of that first chapter, he hears this announcement, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Now in my preterist days, I tried to make all of those texts refer to the invasion of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., And I agree, in a certain sense, Christ as the sovereign of all history was responsible for ordaining that destruction of that sanctuary that had outlived its usefulness because he was already building a new kind of temple, the temple of his body and his resurrection, the temple made of living stones, a spiritual house in the work of the church, in the work of the spirit in creating the church. But the angels are talking about a second coming, and I believe those other texts that we just looked at were a second coming in the same way that you saw him go. When the cloud enveloped his glorified resurrection body, you will see him come back at the end of history. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Yeah, neither can I. (laughs) But I believe it. Because Jesus announced it, because his angels announced it, God sent two witnesses from the very court of heaven to announce it. Peter, just a few chapters later, in chapter 3, will talk about God sending Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Not just the restoration of political ascendancy to Israel, the restoration, the healing of the whole cosmos. New heavens, new earth, where there is no curse and suffering and sorrow and sin. So the angels, on the one hand, perhaps, quiet a little bit 
the apostles' temptation to eschatological hysteria. Don't keep looking into heaven. There were those in the early church we know from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that were so spiritual that they quit their jobs, went to look in heaven, and the rest of the church had to support them. I suspect that those super spiritual ones kind of looked down on people who were messing with mundane stuff like work and children and marriages. Uh, Eschatological hysteria. We've had it around, uh, not just in the first century, but uh, certainly since 1948. We even heard about it a lot in the headlines last year. To be so fixated on seeing signs and setting dates that we get distracted from what Jesus calls us to do. Our temptation, I suspect, around here is to go to an opposite extreme, and the angels warn us against that too, and that's eschatological indifference. It's just the assumption that everything's just going to keep going the same. Peter had to deal with that in 2 Peter 3. He said, there are some people who were saying, where's this coming, he promised. Everything stays the same. Since the fathers fell asleep from the creation of the world, no changes, no differences. It's always going to be the same. You know that's the worldview in which we live in this culture, in this society. And it's really easy for us to imbibe that too. And maybe especially in reaction to some of the eschatological hysteria that we hear about. But the angels, speaking the word of God from the court of God, say, don't just gaze to heaven. Do what Jesus has called you to do. And in this case, for them, it's waiting for the work, the power of the Spirit, and then laboring in the power of the Spirit. But don't forget... He's coming back. He's coming back. Jesus in John 12 told a little story about how important it is for slaves to remember that their master is not going to delay forever. If you begin to assume he'll never come back, then you begin to abuse your authority and neglect the tasks he's given you. He said, remember, the Son of Man is going to come when you least expect him. So be ready. Be caught in the act of being faithful to the calling he's given you to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your loving kindness to us in Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have brought into your heavenly court, brought back your beloved son after he's become our human brother, after he has fulfilled your law fully in our place and borne our curse on our behalf and been raised from the dead that he now has ascended and rules as the mighty son of man at your right hand and prays for us as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek holding his priesthood forever by the power of his indestructible life and father thank you that Jesus is certainly returning father we even thank you for the fact that you've hidden the timing from us that you have called us to be faithful at every moment, in every day, in reliance upon the Spirit whom Jesus would soon send in his fullness on the church when we read this event that we've been thinking about today, that he has sent this wonderful Holy Spirit by by whom he's present among us still and calling us to be his witnesses as now, by the gospel of his grace, he gathers his elect from all the nations in expectation of that great day when we will see him, our glorious king and great high priest. 
and he will bring about the restoration of all things, all that is broken, all that is stained, all that we long to see repaired and restored. Father, we look with eagerness toward that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.